James 5.13 Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would direct our thoughts, perhaps in a, a sequence, a point not often considered. We pray that the Savior might be glorified in our considerations this evening. Mm. We pray that as a church, we may be what we ought to be. As brothers and sisters of, in Christ, may we be the family we need to be. We might be not only a, a blessing to one another, but that the unsaved, the unchurched, might see what joy there is in being a part of one of your congregations. Bless these thoughts this evening. Glorify yourself before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pretend that you wake up one spring morning feeling a slight itch on your right forearm. You look down at your arm and you see a small spot and you think to yourself, well, yesterday I was out working in the garden and I ran into a rose bush. I ran into a, a raspberry bush. Maybe it's a, a bug bite and this thing is on my arm and it's uh, itching just a little bit. Six months later, the spot and the itch are still there. Each of them are just a little more intense, nothing to worry about, just a little worse than they were six months earlier. But your spouse says that you should go see the doctor and uh, get that thing checked out. You agree to do it, but obviously it takes another three months before that ever happens. You finally get around to seeing the doctor. During the winter, after its first appearance, you learn that you have basal cell carcinoma. Huh. You have a skin cancer, which needs to be excised before it spreads any further. It is potentially fatal. Not seriously so, but uh, at this point, it, there is the potential there. In other words, that little insignificant spot on your arm, if left untreated, could lead to the death of your entire body, not just your arm. Now, let's remember that a church is like a body. That is not my opinion. That is what the Word of God says. The church has arms and toes. It has eyes and ears. And, of course, it has a head, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. God the Father hath put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Within a church body, 
The arm is tied to and related to the knee. Not directly, but they eventually meet together. The eye assists the ear in uh, assessing what's going on in the world. They work together. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, beauty. For our comely parts, for our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacketh, or lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care one for another. And when one member suffer, all of the members suffer with it. Or one member become honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. In that light, let's go back to James. What was James saying? He tells us that among us there may be afflicted members and rejoicing members. Not only do they need to pray and sing praise to God, but the rest of the body should join them. When one part of the body suffers, the rest of the body should come together and pray and support that weakened member. Because remember that as one member suffers, so do all the members, whether they realize it or not. When the thyroid or the pancreas aren't working well, the head may know it, but the toes may not. May not. And the head may permit the entire body to grow weaker and weaker because of that hidden thyroid problem. Everybody still with me? Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. I'd like to take two or maybe three messages to deal with the first part, the first half of verse number 16. This isn't a promise, nor is it a threat. It's just a possibility here. I, I'm not sure why the Lord has laid this on my heart, but of course, uh, he has his reasons, and he doesn't always explain those reasons to uh, uh, the teacher of the Word of God. And to be honest, I seriously, seriously thought about tossing it aside because I don't particularly relish this theme. It's not high on my excitement list. But I believe the Lord is in this lesson. And once again, I'm not teaching this subject because I'm aware of some problem out there. I think I've said that two or three times in the last month or so. 
But the body may have a small carcinoma on its right forearm, but this tongue may not know anything about it. So I can't talk about that. Despite my ignorance, I assure you that if there is a cancer in the body, the head knows about it. The Lord knows about it. And for the sake of the body, the hell, the head tells the arm, confess that fault. Confess your faults. Let's begin with the word false. As you can see, the translators of our authorized Bible didn't say confess your sins. They said faults. Because this is not the usual New Testament word for sin, which is found in the previous verse, I believe. It is not hamartia, which 99% of the time is translated sin or sinful. It's not that word. This is a much less common Greek word, which is translated trespass and offense, fault, and even to fall. And certainly, I will not say that it does not refer to sin. It does refer to sin. In fact, this particular word, though it's not as common as the other, is translated sin on two occasions. It is a sin to trespass the law of God. It is a sin to offend God. Fault is still a sin. But the way in which our Bible expresses it this is not one of those in-your-face uh, capital crimes, shall we say. It's not a, a rebellious sin. It's not something that brings shame to everybody. It is still spiritually dangerous. It can still kill the body, but it is not like the sin of murder or kidnapping or some of the big sins that we might talk about. I could illustrate this fault in, in several different ways. As I say, it's not something openly disgusting like public drunkenness in a member of the church. But it might be hidden and disgusting. It could be online gambling or pornography. It could be an addiction to tobacco or alcohol or drugs, legal and otherwise. It could be a love for glamour magazines. It could be an enthrallment with some pop singer or some Hollywood actor. It could be an addiction to social media. It could be an ever-present fear that you have. Or your propensity to lose control and get angry with people. And it might be that not any other member of the body is aware of this particular fault. It's just a little itch on the arm. Just a little red spot that you cover up with long sleeves. Nobody has to know that it's there. Your liver doesn't know about it. And your ear hasn't heard about it. But if left untreated, 
it can be fatal. The eye has seen it, I've already mentioned that. The eye has seen it, but it did not recognize this to be uh, a fault, a problem. Confess your faults one to another. Whose job is it to expose this spot of sin cancer? Don't leave it to your fingernail. All it will do is uh, scratch it until it becomes infected. Your fingernail's not a good, uh, a good exposer, shall we say. Your heart and lungs are too busy in the ministry of the body to consider your itchy arm. And as I said, the, the eye has seen it, but didn't recognize it to be dangerous. So whose job is it to bring this fault before the body? The responsibility lies on the arm which is experiencing this problem. Don't think that just because the pastor hasn't seen your fault, it's not important. Don't fool yourself into thinking that since not even your elbow is bothered by this cancer on your arm, that it's not important. The fact is, basal cell skin cancer is a danger to your heart, and your toe, and your brain. Your sin, whatever it is, no matter how large or small, is a poison to the entire body. Our spiritual head knows about it, but for the time being, he's leaving it to the arm to confess it, to expose it. Confess your faults one to another. Several months ago, I spent a few minutes comparing the words confess and profess. If you don't remember that message, you are forgiven. I barely remember it myself. At the time, I said that confess and profess appear to be opposites. One is pro and one is con. Can you get any more opposite than that? To profess is to grasp and hang on to something, while to confess is an expression of guilt and should be a part of the process of uh, getting rid of whatever it happens to be. The word James uses here begins with the prefix ex, from. Begin, it end, the word ends with logos, from the word. Even though it can be used in a positive way, this particular word refers to verbally exposing something. Exposing faults. Now James is telling the forearm of this body to lay open its problem to admit to the fact that it has a carcinoma. We need to make this confession to the appropriate person. I'll come back to that in just a minute. We need to go to the skin doctor. The dermatologist is the one who's going to diagnose this skin cancer. We go to the dermatologist and we say, please look at this. I think I have a problem here. 
Maybe, maybe your experience is different than mine, but during my lifetime, I have never had the doctor come to my house and tell me to roll up my sleeves because he's going to investigate whether or not I have skin cancer on my arm. You've probably all experienced that, but I haven't. I've never had the dentist come to my house, set me down in a kitchen chair and say, hold your head back and open your mouth. I'm going to see if you've got any cavities in there. I've always had to go to the dermatologist. I've always had to go to the dentist. Whether I had a problem or not, I had to take the initiative. I had to confess. I've got a cavity. I've got this, this ache in my tooth. Whatever. Whose responsibility is it to confess our, salts, our faults? It is a responsibility of the faulty person. I thought about giving this message the title accountability and taking it in a slightly different direction. One of the blessings of church membership, even though some people think that it is a curse, one of the blessings of being a member of the body is that we become accountable to and accountable for the other members of the body. We are to pray for one another. We are to grieve and rejoice with each other. And we are to confess our faults one to another. The church will be spiritual only to the degree that the individual members are spiritual. The church will be powerful and useful to God only as we, the, the members that make up this church, are what God means for us to be. And if we fail, it hurts the body. If one member is suffering spiritually, the whole body will quickly be suffering as well, even though it may not understand the cause for that spiritual decline. Whose responsibility is it to confess our faults? It is the responsibility of the one who is failing, falling, or faulting. If you have an anger problem, tell somebody before the rest of the body sees the bruises on your spouse or your children. If you have a pornography problem, confess your fault to someone before it destroys your marriage or leads you into actual fornication, adultery, or, or homosexuality. If you're addicted to gambling, seek the prayers of a godly friend before you ruin your family's finances. I'm not making this stuff up. It happens. Confess your faults one to another. To whom are we to confess our faults? In some ways, this is the difficult part of the exhortation. It's easy to see that this has nothing to do with Roman Catholic auricular confession, confession to a priest. There's no hint of that here. To whom should we make this confession? Perhaps I am in error, but one to another 
suggests to me something personal rather than public. Yes, there are those open and blatant sins which need to be confessed to the entire congregation. They happen once in a while. But this is talking about faults rather than capital crimes. Yes, they are sins, without a doubt, but sins which at this point are only hurting the arm and not yet the rest of the body. They need to be excised and treated because they will certainly grow and spread. They need to be confessed and treated by someone who loves and cares for that injured member. To whom should we make this confession? As I just said, to someone whom we know truly loves us. To someone who cares about us. Not only should we consider confessing to people who love us, but to those whom we trust. If that fellow church member has a history of gossip, perhaps she's not the one we should confess to. And if that brother has a grudge against you, or if there are other unresolved problems, go to someone else instead of him. Children, even teenagers, should be able to confess their faults to, to mom, if not mom and dad, assuming mom is a godly woman. And of course, most of the time, our spouse should be the very first person that we turn to. But in my estimation, this verse seems to point to confession within the body. And again, as I say, this can be difficult because most of us are not the best kind of body members. We know each other, but perhaps we only know the people sitting in front of us during the church service. We know everyone's name. Maybe we know their favorite hobby or their favorite sport, but very often we know little more than that, even though we're members of the same body. Do we really know how they feel? Do we really know how they think? Do we really know how close they are to the Lord, or is it just what we perceive during a church service as they lead in prayer? Do we really know that person? I think that a part of being a good church member in a good church is the creation and the maintenance of good, solid Christian friendships filled with mutual love and respect. I know it's Wednesday night. I don't think I've heard a single amen. Are you thinking? What, what is going on here? We need to get to know each other. It is a part of being in the, in the body, in the family. It should be only to a good, trusted friend and church member that we make our confessions. Do we have one to whom we can 
take our problems. We need to create them if we don't have them now. And then there is the pastor. I hope that you know that what you say to me in confidence, I will never share with anyone without your permission. And that means not even to Judy. I say it not to boast, but some have told me things 20 years ago that will die with me before they're ever spoken. And there have been members with addictions who chose to make me their accountability partner. In some cases, no one else has been informed about that relationship. I can't say that accountability is a job that I relish. But at the same time, I consider it a privilege, which I take very seriously. If you have a sin problem, excuse me, if you have a fault problem, you can tell me about it. Let me pray with you. Let me pray for you. And come back to me again and again as you see it rearing its head. Let me be a friend. Let me be a pastor to you. But again, I stress that James did not refer to elders and bishops in this text. Confess your faults one to another. We all need to be better friends. The very best possible brothers and, and sisters to one another. And that means nurturing and maintaining those special relationships that we develop. We need to learn to control our tongues and our hearts even when we are enjoying one another's uh, happy company. So that when the need arises, our friend may have confidence that we can handle whatever is shared with us. If we're blabbing away, having fun with one another, it may destroy, not build, the confidence someone has in you. In many situations, the only other person who needs to know about that confessed fault is the Lord. Confess your faults one to another. And pray for one another that she may be healed. Remember that sin always hinders worship. It hinders the power of the Holy Spirit. It destroys revival. It hinders evangelism. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. Do you remember that lesson we had on thee, thou, Ye, those pronouns, again, if you've forgotten, that I can understand. Thee and thou are singular pronouns. Ye is plural. We are a body of Christ. The body of Christ on the corner of 12th Avenue and Spokane Street. Our body is not large. But it still has hands and feet and eyes and ears and fingers and toes. When there is a skin cancer on the arm of the body, the whole body is in danger. All of us. Confess your private faults one to another and pray for one another that you all, as a body, may be healed. 
This is an exhortation we need to take seriously. We need to be, in, uh, to be good both at confessing our faults and hearing the confession of our friend. And remember, today you may be hearing a confession. Tomorrow you may need a friend to confess too. It goes both ways. And again, why must we wake why must we make these confessions for the health of the body of Christ?